Thank you, ladies, for that wonderful challenge and song. And that's what we need. We need uh, Christians who, like we heard this morning, who'll stand. But we need Christians who'll not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about that song that they sang, the uh, choir sang. Uh, there is still a need um, in our nation and around this world for, for men and ladies who'll answer the call. Here am I, Lord. And there's a need, I think, in our nation for that. And I'm glad that over the years we've had uh, good men come through and been part of our leadership conference. But I'm glad that uh, one of them over the years that's come is, uh, is Evangelist Fraser Young, a great friend of ours here at our church. And he's been good enough to, uh, to be prepared for tonight. And so I hope that um, you just have your Bibles ready, have your hearts open. And uh, Brother Young, if you could come and preach for us. Thanks. Well, good evening, and um, <clears throat> one thing would be very, um, it would be in bad taste for me to mention the state of origin from last week, so um, I'm not going to mention that, okay? Um, and 44 to 12 is the number that comes to mind, but, uh, but um, that, would be, that would be really bad. That would be really bad, wouldn't it, Pastor? It would be very, very... That would be a really bad form to do that, so, um, so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to mention the game two, state of origin in Perth. I'm not going to mention that at all. <laughs> but as I've said many times, you, you Queenslanders have rubbed it in so, for so many years, all right? So we've got another 10 years of this to even part catch up with, with you blokes. There's no doubt about that. But uh, no, very good to be here. Thank you, Pastor. We've been looking forward to coming up and, and ministering to the children. And um, <clears throat> I don't know where we're going to have the kids' ministry this week, but it'd be more fun than being in here, okay? It's going to be a lot of fun, Pastor. So um, we actually, we better put a, an age limit, eh, on the kids. Um, but no, we've been looking forward to um, coming and uh, ministering. Good to have Robin here with me this time. And uh, looking forward to the week, and thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to come. James, please, chapter uh, 1, James chapter 1, and then we're going to go over to First uh, Chronicles, but we'll start with James chapter 1, and we may not even get to First Chronicles. <laughs> we'll see how we go. James chapter 1. And we'll read the first 16 verses of James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing." If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. 
Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And we get to my text verse for this evening, verse number 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And let's pray and ask for God's blessing this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you for the glorious day. And this is the Lord's day and we are so thankful that we rejoice in it. And we give you our praise and our worship. And this evening, dear Lord, we come to you. Every single one in the room here this evening, Lord, as a needy soul in some way. I pray and ask for the filling, the anointing of the Spirit of God upon the preaching this evening. I pray the Word of God will come alive to us and that, Lord, you will meet us at our point of need, whatever that might be. And we, we are thrilled, Lord, with the Word of God and the work of the Spirit of God through your word and we ask for his help and his blessing this evening and we pray these things in Jesus name with thanksgiving amen James says do not err my beloved brethren the word err there is a very interesting word it comes from the Greek word uh, meaning to wander. It's actually, come, it's the, the word is the word planeo, which means to wander. It comes from plano, which um, uh, <clears throat> means uh, where we, we actually we get our word planet from there. Now, planet was seen as a, as a wandering body in the sky. And that's, that's the, uh, the meaning of the word here. It means to wander or to wander off course. And that's what they did in, in, in days of old. They looked up in the sky and there were certain heavenly bodies that didn't stay like all the others, but they wandered. And of course, that was the, the planets in our solar system. So that's where, where the word planet comes from. And James says, do not wander. Do not wander. Do not err. Do not get off the track or the course or the direction that God has for your life. Now, whether you know it or not, when you are driving down the, uh, the road here, Albany Creek Road, or as we came up the M1 today, when you are driving in a car, you, you don't even know you're doing this, but every, every moment, every few moments, you are correcting your course. You don't even know you're doing it. Now, when you first, do you remember when you learned to drive? You, the steering wheel was going, the very first drive, the steering wheel was going all over the place like this. But now you don't even think about that. You just uh, make tiny corrections, mi microscopic or what's the word, minuscule corrections on that steering wheel. You don't even know you're doing it, but you're doing it because you want to stay in the lanes. And by the way, 
Um, <clears throat> when you're on the M1, stay in the left lane, okay? This is a freebie there, Pastor. I thought I'd give that one in. Don't drive in the right lane, okay? Get in the left lane. Adam, is that right? That's preaching, isn't it? Yeah, so get in the left lane. <laughs> but we do. We make little um, um, corrections because if we don't, we will err. And if we don't, I mean, you, you, don't try this, okay? This is dangerous. But just, you just drive down the freeway and don't touch the steering wheel with anything for about, you know, three or 400 metres. You'll most probably end off in the ditch somewhere or you'll, you'll run out of your lane. You imagine if uh, an A380 from, uh, uh, I've often caught QF1 Sydney to Heathrow via uh, Singapore or Dubai, which, whichever one it is at the time, and you imagine taking off from uh, uh, Sydney Airport, that A380, and, um, and that, that navigation computer is out by 0.1 of a degree. And you would say, well, just one-tenth uh, one of one degree, what difference would that make? Well, at the start, for the first couple of minutes, most probably it wouldn't make any difference. But as you keep going, thousands and thousands of kilometres, you would not end up in Heathrow. You would end up in Iceland or the North Pole, or, or, or somewhere else. You see, <clears throat> erring, erring is just little bits of deviation off course. You know, so many Christians have erred. They have erred. I was, uh, <clears throat> I've got my prayer list here in the front of my Bible, and I normally do a quarterly prayer list, and... Um, and there's hundreds and hundreds of names on my prayer list. And, and about every quarter, I, it's just full of scribbles and adding some. And, you know, people die, so you take them off the prayer list and so on. But I remember just a few weeks ago, maybe maybe six weeks ago, going through my prayer list for my winter prayer list and, and having to s- scrub some missionaries off my prayer list. Um, now, it's not to say I shouldn't pray for them, but I, just, I don't, no longer pray for them as missionaries. Why? Because they have erred and they've erred and they've erred and over time those little deviations off the course of God for their life has meant that they've run into disaster and their lives have ruined and wrecked, are wrecked by sin all because they erred. How can we err? Well, James, it almost seems funny, this, this tiny little verse in the middle of James chapter 1, and you just read this verse and you say, well, where did this come from? Do not err. What's he talking about here? Well, I can see at least five ways that God's children err. So let's have a look at some verses here. James chapter 1, here's the first way. Let's go to verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy... When you fall into diverse temptations or testings, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect or mature or complete and entire, wanting nothing. Here's the first way we can err. We get impatient with God's dealings in our lives. We get impatient with God's dealings in our lives. You know, everyone, at some time, at some point in life, everyone goes through tough times. Now, I guarantee you there's a fair, a sizable group of people in this building tonight and you are going through some troubling times. 
you were going through some temptations or you were going through some trials or you were going through some testings and, and right now, and, and, there, and there's another, and those things, they may be financial, they may be marital, they may be physical, it might be a health thing, it might be vocational, it could be any sort of thing. It might be mental, could be spiritual, could be whatever. And if you're not in that group, then you're in another group. If you're not in those two groups, you're in the third group. You're about to go into another time of testing. So you're in one of the three, okay? I mean, that's life. That's life. But you know, when we go through those times of testing and we think, Lord, why me? Why me? Lord, why, why, why me, Lord? Why are you allowing this to happen to me and not him or not her? No, God's, God allows us to go through testing. And the key is not the testing. It's not an original thought, but someone said, when you go through testing, either get better or you get bitter. You know, it's almost 20 years ago that, um, uh, and you've, many of you have heard my story a number of times. Almost 20 years ago, you know, I've been coming to conference here for, I think, about 25 years now, or close to it. Um, <clears throat> but about almost, almost 20 years ago, 20 years I think in about two months, um, we were working uh, at a church in California and we got kicked out of the church. And it's a big story. Now, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, um, I didn't steal from the offering or anything like that. It was, we, God put us into a trial. And um, <clears throat> that was almost 20 years ago. And I remember we, I walked back in, into, when we got back into Australia, it was... Um, it was September 2002, and the first church I went to was Good Shepherd. We were, we were in Sydney at the time. Uh, we got into Sydney. We found a place to stay in Coffs Harbour, and the first I came up here to con. It was conference time. I think that must have been October, October 2002, from memory. And I remember Rob Boy was sitting down the back somewhere. He turned around and he, and he, and he said to me, "What are you doing here?" I said, "I just got kicked out of America," you know. <laughs> And I remember I went and saw Brother Shemish and he was so, so gracious, gave me as much time as I needed then because I was hurting. And the first thing he said was, he said, Brother, yeah, you needed to go through that. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I remember him telling me in a roundabout sort of way, God had to knock some stuff out of you, knock some nonsense out of you. Yeah, I know, I know. Thanks, brother. Thanks. <laughs> i tell you what, though, I learned from that time. I really did learn from that time. And I'm not saying there haven't been times of testing that I've gone through that, that, I, that I've <clears throat> approached those things and, yippee, it's all good. No, no, some uh, testing's tough. But unfortunately, with a lot, of, a lot of Christians, they go through the time of testing, this temptation, these trials, <clears throat> and they say, why me? And they get bitter. And there's nothing sadder or as the Americans would say, sorrier than a bitter Christian. A bitter Christian. Someone who goes through some testing and, and doesn't get it. Now, we don't have to understand all about that. Sometimes we don't understand what the testing is for. Sometimes we just don't know. God knows, but we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. But when we get bitter, we say, well, Lord, I don't want this. Oh, forget it. I'm going to leave church. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm going to do this, do that. And you, you err. 
and you err and you err. And before long, you're so far away from God. I'm not saying you don't belong to God. If you're saved, you belong to God. But you're so far out of fellowship. Why? Because you have not accepted the trials that God brings across your path. So that's the first way. What's the second way we can err? Look at verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, James says, if any of you lack wisdom, this means that some of them lack wisdom. Do you lack wisdom? I do. I lack wisdom all the time. And I, I think every Christian should pray every day, Lord, please, can I have some wisdom? I don't know what to do. Even if it's praying, Lord, I don't know what to pray for this person. I know I should pray for them. I have no idea what to pray for them. So, Lord, please give me wisdom even to know what to pray. But some of us, we have a lack of God's wisdom. The classic story is is, uh, Rehoboam. You know the story? Um, Solomon's son, he, uh, he got wisdom from the old fellows that were, uh, you know, the, the fellows that served with his father Solomon and they said, you need to do this, you need to speak kindly to the people, you speak kindly to the children of Israel and they'll love you forever. But he went and got his wisdom from his mates. He says, nah, you, you've got to squash them. You've got to squash them. And so that's what he did. He tried to squash them. And so the children of Israel said, see you later, mate. We're off. And that's what they did. He erred. What's the wisdom that God gives? What's what's that wisdom like? Let me read to you James 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's God's wisdom. So if you want to know whether something is wise, use that little checklist there. And that'll show you what it's like. What's the third thing in the third way that we can err? Look at verse number six. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Verse eight, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The third way that we can err is to not believe in the promises of God. In other words, it's that thing called unbelief. Unbelief. We all struggle with unbelief. We do. We all struggle with unbelief. But when we do not believe the promises of God, when we are unstable and double-minded, when we waver, uh, when we ask God, when we pray... No, James says, no, you need to ask in faith. Believe God. Believe the promises of God. Keep a bookmark there. Come over a few pages to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. The writer to Hebrews puts it a different way. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. 
Now, you'd, you'd read that straight off and you think, oh, does that mean you lose your salvation? No, that's not what it's talking about there. But Christians can have an evil heart of unbelief. Instead of that, we are to exhort one another because otherwise our hearts will be hardened through the sinfulness of sin. But that word departing in verse number 12 means to withdraw, to get cold or to get distant. And if we don't believe the promises of God, we will err and we can get distant from God. We can be withdrawn from God. We can have a a distant relationship with God. Yes, he's still our father. I'm still part of God's family, but I'm a long way from him. Why? Because of unbelief. And it affects all of us. Even when we believe God, even when we've put God to the test so many times, even when we've had the faith of a mustard seed, it's so easy to go back into unbelief. God supplied our needs. God answered our prayers. God did this for me. God did that for me. And we could, we could all write books about how good God's been to us and we get to a certain point in life, we go back into unbelief. We get a hard heart and we get distant. We get cold to the things of God. I know that from experience. I've been there. So that's the third way that we can err. What's the fourth way? Come down here to verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. The fourth way we can err is to reject God's provision of escape. Reject God's provision of escape. Now you know this verse, but turn there anyway. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. If you haven't memorised this verse, you need to memorise this verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Yes, there is no temptation. We're all made of the same stuff. We are all made of the same stuff. We are all tempted alike. But God says, I will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able. But with every temptation, there's a way of escape. But you know, so often for Christians, you know what we do? We like our sin. We like our sin. We do. We like our sin. Because sin gives pleasure. You know, Moses said um, he chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. If sin wasn't pleasurable, no one would do it. But it is. It's pleasurable. We like our worldliness. We like our lust. We like this. We like that. And God says, no, no, no. I'll allow you to be tempted. God doesn't tempt anyone. But I'll allow you to be tempted. But I'm, I've got a way of escape. You know what Paul said to Timothy? He said, Timothy, this is your way of escape. Flee also youthful lusts. Timothy, when you are, um, uh, when you are tempted to lust, he said, listen, vamoose. Skedaddle, get lost, just, just get run physically if you have to, run. There's always a way of escape. But we like those little sins. We like the little sins. That's the ones we like, just the little ones. Um, <clears throat> little sins, big sins, they're all sins. No, oh, no, I can get away with just a little sin. I can get away with a little look at that website. I can get away with a little listen to that music. I can get away with a little bit of friendship with those, that group over there. I can, I can do all that. 
I'm a strong Christian. I'm a strong Christian. Doesn't affect me. I can, I can take it or leave it. See, that's when we err. We err. Just that point one of a degree off course. Just a little bit. Just a little look at that. Just a little listen to that. Just a little reading of that. What does the Bible say? <clears throat> this is the progression of sin. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It just starts in a little way. I was reading, uh, <clears throat> I've mentioned this fellow before, but it's funny, I was um, looking up this fellow's story just, just this afternoon, about just over an hour ago, and uh, there was a story on Fox Sports today, written by Eddie Maguire, uh, and I have mentioned this fellow in oh, 10, 12 years ago. His name was Gavin Krasiska. Now, I don't know if you follow the AFL or not, but um, <clears throat> my son David and I, we follow Collingwood in the AFL and, and we still have our teeth, which is a bit unusual for Collingwood supporters. <clears throat> um, and, uh, but this fella played in the 1990 premiership winning um, Collingwood side and uh, let me just read the story here. Collingwood Premiership hero Gavin Krasiska confesses to using illicit drugs during his AFL career. This story came out today. <clears throat> he said he led a double life, kept secret from his teammates, his wife and his three children. The 44-year-old was addicted to alcohol, cannabis and speed or amphetamines. He lost his house, his business, his coaching career and for a time his family. It's cost myself and my family enormously. Emotionally, spiritually, materially, mentally, it cost us everything, especially my wife. It ended up completely devastating my family and my life as I knew it. Listen to this. My addiction was triggered when I had my first drink of alcohol as a 15-year-old. A 15-year-old. He said his addiction became a way of life after his very first drink in Brisbane while celebrating his selection in the under-16 All-Australian team by drinking a whole bottle of Bundaberg rum at the age of 15. He says it. He said, the first drink, I was hooked. The first drink. Now, I don't know if he's a Christian. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> no idea. But you say, yeah, well, that's, that's him. That would never happen to me. Yeah, it can happen to anyone. Young people, young people, listen to me. No, no one, no one ever decides to start out, uh, a, you know, a career alcoholic. What are you going to do for a career when you leave school? I'm going to become an alcoholic, a drunkard. Wow, that's awesome, yeah. What are you going to become? You're going to become a, 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 um, <clears throat> an adulterer. Yeah, that's going to be my career. I'm, be, I'm going to become a gambling addict. I'm going to, it's going to destroy my life and my family. That's what I'm going to do with my life. Um, <clears throat> doesn't work that way. You know how it works? A little erring off course. Just a little erring. little point one degree off, off that course. Just a little drink here. I tell you what, I'm not sure about your church pastor. I don't, um, <clears throat> I mean I know a lot of people here, but I don't know all the young people or teens and adults, young adults and so on. But I know there's a lot of churches in Australia at this very moment 
and the young adults. Not all of them, thankfully, but there's some young adults in that, you know, that 17, 16, 17 to 22, 23 age group that are destroying their lives right now. Um, I'm not going to do it, but you can have a look at my prayer list. All the names of different churches and young people. Fellas that have come, they've, they've come to conferences and, and I've taught them at Vision to Serve Leadership uh, Preacher Training and all this sort of stuff and now they're off living for the devil. Serious. So, well, I'd never go that way. How do you know? How do you know? Lust, when it is finished, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. See, if you live after the flesh, you are going to die. The Bible says that. You're going to die. You're, going to, you're just going to shrivel up spiritually. Now, you're saying, are these people saved? I don't know. I have to leave that to the Lord. You say, is it possible for a Christian to ruin their life? Yep, I've seen it many, many times. Many, many times. Maybe some of them aren't saved. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. I'll leave that to God. I'm not going to judge that. But if we err, if we err, we, 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 I tell you, you're heading to ruin. Young people, listen to me. Uh, old people, listen to me. Retired people, listen to me. You can err. You can err. Dads, mums, little kids, grandmas, listen to me. We can err. And there's nothing sadder than seeing a child of God ruin their life. You think, why? You want to grab them by the neck and think, what, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? God has all this, for, God has so much planned for you. And it's all good. It's not necessarily easy all the time, but it's good. Yes, you'll go through the valleys. Yes, you'll go through the trials. But if you get through those trials, you rejoice that God's teaching you something. You'll come out as complete, mature. We err when we don't take the way of escape that God has given to us. He says there's always a way of escape, always. What's the fifth way that we can err? Verse 22 it's forgetting God's word. Be, uh, be ye doers of the word, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and brideth not his tongue, deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. It's talking about being a doer of the word of God here. We forget the word of God and when we, when we are just hearers and not doers, we become hypocrites. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He said, you do err not knowing the scriptures. That's, that's, uh, I had a discussion with a man <clears throat> via texting this week, lovely, lovely Christian man. Um, but I said, we need church. We need church. We do. Why? Because we are all prone to err. 
And just like when you're driving down the road, down the M1, and, and, and you've got to keep correcting yourself, you've got to keep correcting that steering wheel, and it's just the tiniest little touch. You don't even know you're doing it, but you're correcting it. Just like that, we need to come to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and Friday night and Tuesday morning, whenever else the church is open. Get here. Why? Because we need that little bit of correction. We need the preacher to get up and say, listen, this is what God's word says, now go and do it. Go and do it. I need it. You need it. And not just go and do it, but yeah, go and do it. Be a doer of the word. Well, that's how we err. But James goes on to say how we can not err or how to prevent erring. And this is what he says here, verses 26 and 27. Um, I'm sorry, verse 27. We've read verse 26. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. This is what it is. In other words, he's saying, this is how you stay on God's course for your life, okay? Number one, visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. What's he saying there? Visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Who were the neediest people in the world at that time? The fatherless and the widows. If you lost your dad or if a lady lost lost her husband, she was in desperate straits financially. They didn't have social security like we have today. Um, And so... These widows and these uh, fatherless kids were those that were in the churches there. The church had a responsibility. In fact, James says, go and look after them. Go and visit them. Look after the needy ones. Now, we are in a different age today, I understand that, but we can still apply that to us today. What's he saying? You need to serve God. You know how we serve God? By serving others. We serve God by serving others. So here's the first way that you, you keep from erring is to serve God by serving others. In other words, get, get your, your, your mind and your focus off yourself and onto others. That's what Christians do. That's what we do. We all come to church here, and, and, or we should, and we all, not, not just to warm a, a, a piece of pew here, but to take our place in the local church, whatever that might be. Now, there's only one pastor, but I, I reckon there's a few jobs. I know there's security jobs going for any, <laughs> for any fellows that are taller than uh, Paul Haycock, <laughs> which shouldn't be hard, but anyway. <laughs> now, he's a good fella. He, he's a blues. Um, <clears throat> There's got to be some more jobs. Is everything done here? I mean, is there anything else to do here, Pastor? I don't know. Maybe all the jobs are done. Is there anyone have needs in this church? Maybe there's a few people have a need. Maybe, maybe you're not widows or fatherless, but maybe there's other needs, I would imagine. You say, but I'm not a preacher. Yeah, most, most, most of you aren't preachers. That's fine. Yeah, but I'm not a security guard. Well, that's fine. Most of us aren't security guards, but there's something you can do. Just get involved. Get your mind off yourself. Serve God by serving others. You know, when the children of Israel, or should I say, the nation of Israel was at its, what's the word, zenith. When it was at the height of what it was as a nation. Come over to First Chronicles, just for a moment. 
First Chronicles. I just read this during the week in my devotions. First Chronicles. <clears throat> when the nation of Israel was at its zenith, at the height, it was under King David. I mean, Solomon did okay for a while, but I think I would be right in saying that the nation of Israel was at its greatest as a nation under David. Now, we know David had his problems, he had his sins, we understand that, but the nation of Israel <clears throat> was at the height. First Chronicles 25. Look what David did here, or what the Lord did through David. Moreover, David and the captains of the host separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jeduthun, who should prophesy with harps and with psalteries and with cymbals. And the number of the workmen according to their service was... Now, we're not going to read that chapter, okay? <laughs> There's a lot. Of that. If you want to read that chapter, go on, but... It gives a whole stack of people. What were, what were they doing, a lot of these people? Among other things, they, they were musicians. They were musicians. David had hundreds and thousands of musicians and singers. What to do? To praise the Lord. To praise the Lord. Hey, that's a good, that's a good thing for a church member to do. Praise the Lord. That choir special was awesome tonight. In fact, um, both of them were really good. That choir is sounding really good. And, uh, and, that, and that is a credit to you and to the practice you put in. But that's a real ministry. And I guarantee you there's most probably, if, if you can sing, there might uh, most probably some vacancies there. I don't know. They're not going to want me to sing <laughs> for obvious reasons. But look at verse 20, uh, chapter 26 here. Concerning the divisions of the porters. The porters or the the tabernacle guards who would eventually become the temple guards. And there's all these fellas there. What sort of fellas were they? Look at verse 6. Um, oh, verse 5. Amiel the 6th, Issachar the 7th, Peel 5 the 8th, for God blessed him. And also unto Shemaiah his sons were born that ruled throughout the house of their father, for they were mighty men of valour. The sons of Shemaiah, Othni and Rephael and Obed and Elzabad, whose brethren were strong men. Look at verse 8. All these are the sons of Obededom. They and their sons and their brethren, able men for strength for the service. Verse 9. And Meshelamiah had sons and brethren, strong men, 18. You see, there's a job here for strong men. Security men, okay? <laughs> if you didn't know, we need some security men, okay? <clears throat> There's always a job for the strong men. Someone needs to do the lawn. Someone needs to do the painting. Someone needs to do all that stuff, okay? There's a job for you. Come over here to chapter 27. <clears throat> now, the number of the children of Israel after their... Sorry, the children of Israel after their number, <clears throat> to wit, the chief fathers and captains of thousands and hundreds, and their officers that served the king in any matter of the courses, which came in and went out month by month throughout the year... All the months of the year of every course were 20 and 4,000. So basically there were these fantastic, again, we don't have time to read the list, these fantastic warriors and they each had 24,000 soldiers under them and these 24,000 took turns at a month each to guard the country and the king and the matters of the king. So in all told there were 288,000 soldiers served King David. 
But that wasn't all. Come over to chapter, uh, verse number 25. Over the king's treasures was Azmaveth, the son of Adiel. So there was like a, a banker. And over the storehouses in the fields, there was a, uh, a warehousing. Uh, and the villages was this fellow here, Jehonathan. Look at verse 26. Over them that did the work uh, of the field for tillage of the ground was Ezri, the son of Chelub. So someone was into crop producing. And then uh, uh, over the vineyards was Shimei the Ramathite. And then there were cellars. And verse 28, uh, over the olive trees and over the cellars of oil was a fellow called Joash. Verse 29, over the herds that fed the Sharon was a fellow who looked after the cows. And then verse 30, there was a fellow who uh, looked after the camels and the asses. Uh, and over the flocks, verse 31, the sheep was Jazz's, the Hagarite. You see, everyone had a job. Everyone had a job. It might have been minding the sheep. Might have been looking after the camels. It might have been milking the cows, that is it making the cheese, who knows? Everyone had a job. And while everyone did their job <clears throat> under King David, and the worship of God and the praise of God was paramount, the nation did really well. But if you read through the, the Old Testament time and time again, what did the nation of Israel do? They erred. They erred. So here's the shepherd. Instead of saying, wow, I am, I'm growing sheep or I'm shearing sheep or I'm milking cows for the king. For the king, what a job. King David or one of his family might be going to uh, maybe eat the cheese that my brother makes. Oh, what a job. What a job. Now we would say, he's just a, just a sheep herder. No, he's working for the king. You know what we do in this church? In every Bible-believing, independent, New Testament church, we're working for the King. That's who we're doing it for. We're doing it for Jesus. We're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for Him. And what a privilege. If, if your job is to sweep the floor or to vacuum the floor or polish the piano or whatever it might be, hey, you're doing it for the King. You're not doing it for the pastor. It's not wrong to do it for the pastor, but he does what he does for the King. You see what happens? That keeps you on track. Wow, this children's ministry. It's hard work. <laughs> oh, it's hard work. These little snotty-nosed brats come in and <laughs> I want to strangle them. I just want to strangle them. But no, Jesus loves those little kids and he died for them. You have the opportunity to share the gospel with them and to see some of them saved and see some of the family saved. Wow, you're working for the king. Get, get the right perspective. You know what the conference is all about? Oh, we want to build numbers up. That's got nothing to do with it. Yes, we want to be a blessing to others. That's good. That's a good reason. Yes, we want to encourage someone to go out and build a church somewhere in Australia or overseas. Yeah, that's a good reason. But you're doing it for the king. You're doing it for the king. That's why we do the children's ministry. That's why we drive buses. That's why we do, we go letterboxing or we knock on doors or whatever we do. We're doing it for the king. And when we keep that foremost in, our, in, in front of our eyes, that stops us from erring. James said, this is pure religion. Go and look after those in need. Get busy in the work of the Lord. So if you're not, if you're not serving God by serving others, you're, you're missing out. And you're in danger of erring. Last point tonight is this. 
First thing is, how do we not err through service? Secondly, better read that uh, last part of verse number 27 of James 1. To keep himself unspotted from the world. To keep himself unspotted from the world. You know what that word unspotted means? It means to be unspotted. (laughs) Not to be spotted by the world. Not to be stained by the world. You know, if the, the true Christian, the true child of God, that's walking with God, will want to serve him, they'll also want to be like him. This is called sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he said in chapter 5, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be once named among you as become the saints. Too many Christians are spotted by the world. We have the stench of the world. We have the mark of the world on us. And that's not good. As we mature in Christ, we are supposed to become more and more like the Lord, not the world. You say, but you're going to be seen as being weird. That's the way it is. That's why it says that they they think it's strange that you don't run with them to excess. I don't know whether I shared this illustration with you before. I'll I'll finish on this story, at least my first finish. Um, There's a a good friend of mine up on the central Queensland coast and um, Steve was telling me this story uh, maybe two years ago, three years ago. And uh, he grew up in the south in America and we, we, Steve and I, Steve, as I said, Steve was born in the South, and we both have a, a friend, the same friend in America. He's a gospel singer, a bass singer, and um, that's how we got to sort of know each other. Well, Steve said, I'll tell you a story about uh, when we were growing up as young teenagers, you know, 12, 13, 14. He says, I, I was there with this friend of ours, Randy, and one other young fellow. We were at a Baptist church in the South somewhere, I don't know, Tennessee or Georgia or something. And he said it was summertime in America and they were having sort of like a conference like you have here. But they used to have what, are, what were called brush arbours. And it was sort of like a man-made structure outside with, you know, beams and, and leaves and, and so on. And, and they would have these meetings outside, sort of like a summer tent meeting without a tent. And they would go on for weeks at a time. Well, he said the church was all set up for the start of these revival meetings in the summer. We had the big brush harbour and he said, we decided to go down and investigate early one Sunday morning. So he said, we got down there and of course, you know what young teenagers do, they get into mischief. He said, down towards the back of the property, there's a big long lineup of portaloos. Now you know what a portaloo is. They hadn't been used, they were were just, just being dumped there. So they decided to investigate. So... The third, this third friend out of them, Steve and Randy, and the third friend decided to go and use the bathroom. So when he was in the bathroom, Steve and Randy decided to push it over. So they pushed the portaloo over. But unfortunately, it was standing on the, on the edge of, a, of a, quite a steep hill. So the portaloo went over, turned over, so it was, the door was on the bottom, and then careered down the hill, upside down. And so this friend of his is yelling, saying, help, get me out, get me out. Of course, it's summertime in America, it's hot. And he's stuck upside down in the portaloo. Now, again, they, they, they said they weren't used. He was the first one in there. 
But you know what they put in portaloos? Well, the mother of, I don't think it was Steve's mother, I think it was Randy's mother turned up and she was, she was quite a, a strong lady. And see, these two fellas couldn't lift it up, but she could. She lifted this portaloo up and at least got it over so they could open the door. And out comes their friend, covered head to toe in blue liquid. <laughs> I don't know what that stuff is, Dave, whatever it is. It's that blue portaloo stuff. Covered head to toe. She said, son, you go home and get in the bath and get cleaned up. Well, he did. He somehow went home, ran home or whatever. Church time came. Church was well underway. The mother was down the back waiting for the son. And eventually he came in, new clothes on. But he was just, his skin was blue. <laughs> and the mother said to him, what are you? A smurf. She looked at him. You see, <clears throat> once you get the spotting of that stuff on, you can't get it off. No matter how long you're staying under the shower, you just cannot get that stuff off. You know, that's, that's like the world. That's like the world. If you err and you go out, get into the stuff you're not supposed to get into, you get spotted by the world. You say, can you get forgiven? Yeah, you can get forgiven, but you still can't get the blue off. Or it's very hard to get the blue off. So James says, if you don't want to err, don't be spotted by the world. Keep yourself unspotted. J. Wilbur Chapman said the following. He said, anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study, or cramps my prayer life, or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me, and I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. This simple rule may help you find a safe path for your feet along life's road. In other words, stop you from erring. Stop you from erring. You know, there's some stuff Christians watch on Netflix that you shouldn't watch. Christians are not supposed to watch Game of Thrones. Okay, I've said it. I've never watched it, but I've heard about what's on it. Okay, you say, oh, why don't you watch it? No, I, you don't have to swim in the sewer to find out what's in the sewer, okay? You know what's in there. Just don't go into the sewer. You be very, very careful what, you, what the websites you go to. When our kids were growing up, we made sure when they were teenagers, when we had the internet, we made sure it was in the, in the, the dining room. You're not having that in your bedroom. You have it out there where everyone can see what's going on. And dads, that's good, that's, that's good advice for all of us. You be very, very careful what you watch on the television or your, comp your computer games. I, I, th I think you should get rid of Instagram. I do. And I've used Instagram for a while, but I got rid of it myself. You say, you're telling me what, what to do? No, it's between you and the Lord. But I, I know I did. Because some of the stuff that comes up, oh, you don't want to see that. I thought, this, this is crazy. I'm getting rid of it. Go on. Why? Because there's always someone out there wanting to spot you. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err. If there's ever a time in our nation's history when we need Christians that walk close to God, it's right now. 
It's right now. I know it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. Christians have always been erring. That's why James said it. Do not err. They were erring back in those days. They're still erring today. Maybe there's someone, and I'm finished tonight. Maybe there's someone here tonight, and you have erred. You know what my, you know what my uh, application is? It's up here. Let us return. <laughs> Let us return. Let us say, Lord, I've erred. I started out little, and now, Lord, I'm so far off track. Lord, I want to get back on track. I want, I want, I want to, I want to return. I want to be in the center of Your will. I want, I want to have that sweet fellowship with You that I maybe once had. If God's speaking to you tonight, would would you return? Would you return? Or would you say, Lord, by the the power of the Spirit of God within me, would you help me not to err? Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed, please. Heavenly Father, there's been many times that I have erred and I confess those sins and Lord, I I don't want to err. But dear Lord, I pray that we will not err that we will stay on the, the course that you have for our lives till Jesus comes. Dear Lord, I pray that if you've spoken to some heart tonight, I'm sure you've spoken to someone, may they respond. In fact, may we all respond in some way, Lord, this evening. Please work amongst us, we pray, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to be blessed at the conference this week. If God's spoken to your heart this evening as the music plays, you need to spend a bit of time with God at the altar you just come.